you've survived another week. Thank you for listening, downloading, and subscribing to the Black Man with a Gun Show. This is episode 370. This week, conversation with Masad Ayub about firearms instructors that influenced our generation. And introducing to some and presenting to others, bloggers, podcasters, trainers, and YouTube producers that are making a difference in our community right now. All this and more coming up on your favorite righteous podcast, The Black Man with a Gun Show. Blackmanwithagun.com, Ken Blanchard's Pro Gun Podcast. Hey, welcome. This is the Positive Gun Podcast for the cool people in the gun community. Hope you're having a good week. This is Holy Week for me, and uh, we'll be talking about that at the end. It's been just pretty good. Had a good book signing at Fred Sports in Waldorf, Maryland. Met some longtime listeners that are local to me, and I hadn't a chance to see them before. I got a chance to present a speech to local conservatives on a teleconference, and that was well-received. I heard my first speech by phone, actually. I changed the podcast and tweaking the blog. I even got a new one I'm working on called That's Life, um, but that's now called EncouragingWords.us, and it's going to be just that. This week, we had the cherry blossom thing happen here in Washington, D.C. Temperatures reached 80 degrees, and then a few days later, it snowed. It's cold right now. been having a great time on an unnamed church podcast, Sharing My Faith, which is about the Super Bowl of Christendom, known as Easter. Really happy when you buy a book from me? Yeah, my book, Black Man with a Gun Reloaded, because it's the story of my life and how I think. And if you read it and like it, then you're like me, and that's personal. I don't even know what else to say about that. Still got a GoFundMe account to help me get to you uh, this year on a book signing tour. There's links to it on the website, blackmanonthegun.com. But right now, I'm just doing the places I can get to by car in the Maryland and Virginia area. And if you're interested, check out the site. You can get the book on Amazon.com in paper and electronic versions. And because it's been asked for, I'm going to work on an audio version as soon as I figure out how to get my butt down here in the basement and slow my roll and make it happen. You know, there is more of us fighting against this stupid thing they call gun control. We're now bloggers, podcasters, trainers, and YouTube producers, and hybrid mixes of them all. And there's so many of us that I think we outnumber the outdoor writers and journalists that now have to compete with the 30-somethings, new media moguls like you, that have more eyeballs than they do after 30 years of climbing the corporate ladder. I know, it isn't fair. We'll be talking about that after... John Wayne leads us in a Pledge of Allegiance, as well as firearms training in this great community that I belong to. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. One nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Yeah. You know, today, I'm a middle-aged black guy that sees and appreciates both sides of the spectrum. I'm a guy that's been in this space as a professional firearms instructor since 1986. And because I wasn't making a lot of money of it, I just kind of let it go. 
but I still been in the mix working on the gun rights side and just keeping those who are in this thing motivated, inspired. I lived long enough to see the end of the skinny ties and now for their return. And of course, everything gun related in between. How about you? Did you have one of those crochet uh, ties that had a square bottom back in the 80s? Yeah, they're back. Wild, ain't it? You know, as we watch our community grow, some of the older Jedis fade from view. I noticed that firearms has changed a little today. Uh, if you have just got into this thing the last three or four years, you might not have noticed that defensive training wasn't always like it is now. It wasn't just uh, with the invention of YouTube either. There were some folks who came out long before everything was tactical, made for operators, or all the hot shots wore beards. Back in the day, it seemed like almost all the uh, mainstay, the dyed-in-the-wool, hardcore charging guys were former U.S. Marines and law enforcement. And these guys paved the way. If you just got out of the military and you're thinking you're going to make millions of dollars as a firearms trainer, you might want to rethink that. If all you have is your NRA training certificate, you might want to slow your roll, young Jedi. While the force may be with you, it might just be gas, too. Well, I'll introduce Amasad Ayub, a trainer who's been around longer than I have. Has learned, has, has done some stuff. I mean, he's just, um, you got to give it to him for just sticking it out, for just being good. He's going to introduce some of these old Jedis that I was talking about. And now, our featured presentation. Masad Ayub, welcome to the show. Hey, it's good to be back, Ken. Man, I just wanted to bring some people up to speed on defensive shooting from the past. Because this isn't brand news. It's been around a while. Gotta let the young, youngling Jedi know who the original Jedi trainers were. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Top of your head, man, name some of the guys that were around when you first got started? I had the privilege of uh, working with Jeff, uh, well, not working with, but get learning from Jeff Cooper mm -hmm. uh, back in the mid-70s. Uh, I started reading his stuff when I was about 10 years old in the 1950s, and it was a real hero worship moment. Uh, I got to train and, uh, and know John Farnham in the uh, mid-1970s. And uh, he and I are still colleagues. A couple of weeks ago, we lectured together at the uh, International Law Enforcement Educators and Trainers Association Seminar. Nice. Got to know Bill Jordan. He was kind enough to write the foreword for my first book. And my God, the man is every bit as awesome as the legend says. I, I watched him do his demonstration. I photographed it, the famous Jordan draw. And I remember distinctly, vividly, I had a new camera. And back then, of course, we didn't have auto exposure. So if you had a new camera, you bracketed everything. You kept records of it to see whether you had to go one or up, two F-stops down or up. Mm. And I'm sitting here watching the picture as the gun's coming out of the holster, watching the image come up in the developer. And the gun is blurred. And I'm thinking, damn, I must have rushed on the shutter. And I said, wait a minute. The holster isn't blurred. The belt isn't blurred. And I went back and checked. That man was so fast at the age of about 63, 65, he would have been that about my age now. He had blurred the camera at a one five hundredth of a second shutter speed. 
Yeah, see, that's Jedi stuff right there. I think the single guy I learned the most from was probably Ray Chapman. Ray had uh, one in, I think, I want to say 1975, uh, the first world championship of the combat pistol, the, the original match of IPSC, the International Practical Shooting Confederation. Uh, Jeff Cooper called him the maestro. Hmm. And I met Chapman uh, in 1978. I was out shooting the IPSC Nationals in Los Angeles. And he was there on the practice range. He wasn't competing because he was recovering from an injury. But uh, as I was practicing, uh, I turned around to him and said, Mr. Chapman, uh, just saw me shoot. Anything, any advice you can give me? And it was a match where you had to engage a moving target and sprint very quickly to cover and engage another moving target. And he said, yes, start with your toes pointed to the right, and when you hit the barricade, jump into position at the barricade and slap the barricade with your non-dominant hand. And I'm sitting here thinking, oh, wow, the world's champion, and this is the best advice he can give me. But I did exactly what he told me. And when I ran it again, I cut my time by about five seconds. And I said to myself, self from now on, when this man talks, you should listen. And I came to, came to learn that uh, that was very much Ray's teaching style. Later, for many years in the 80s, I taught with him. And what it was with Chapman, he had a reputation for being gruff. But what it was, he, he not only did not suffer fools lightly, he did not suffer fools, period. Mm. And with each student, he would do a test. He'd give them some small, subtle thing that would improve their shooting and see if they did it. And if they didn't, he'd just shrug his shoulders, write them off, and at the end of the uh, the day when he had the meeting with the staff instructors, he'd say, well, this one's obviously here to show off, not to learn, make sure he has a good time, kick him off the line if he does anything stupid or dangerous. But if you did what he told you to do, open pocket, insert instructor, you had the world champion as your personal coach for the rest of the week of that course. He loved to teach, but only people who would actually try what he taught. You didn't have to adopt it for life. You had to give it a fair try. And I wound up getting along with a guy. Uh, as I said, we taught together for many years, both at Chapman Academy, and he and I for several years did the Advanced Officer Survival Instructor School through Police Marksman. And I've got to say, of all the master trainers I've had the privilege to study with over 40-some years, I must have learned more from Ray than I did from any two or three of the others. Wow. That says a lot, man. You named some cool people, but you missed uh, Jim Cirillo. What about him? Yeah, Jim and I were good friends. Uh, I met Jim in the very early 1970s, would have been 72 or so at the Rhode Island State uh, PPC Championships, Police Pistol Combat. And he was shooting next to me on my right. I noticed this real solidly built guy with a definitely like accent. <laughs> and uh, he had a slightly, I noticed he had a slightly unusual grasp on his pistol. And he had this funny hat that was a, a garbage can with two little eyes peeking out from under the lid uh, that said on it, S-O-U. And we scored for each other. Uh, you'd score, you know, for the competitor on your right. So I wound up uh, scoring his target. And, of course, your name is on the target, PPC. I said, hey, that's great shooting, Mr. Uh, Cirillo. And that was how we met. Uh, got to know each other. I was a young writer then, among other things. And found out the SOU on his hat stood for a stakeout unit. 
uh, was a group of 30-some very highly skilled officers who had been recruited out of the firearms instructor cadre of NYPD. And their job was to go into high-risk businesses, often when there had been a tip developed by detectives that there was going to be an armed robbery, and basically interdict the armed robbers when they pulled their guns. And there was probably never a unit in American police history that got into a higher volume of gunfights than they did. Um, Jim was a hell of a guy, wonderful man. Uh, It's the sentiment that he killed more people than polio. But he was a deeply religious man. He was kind, gentle. And in essence, if you were not kind and gentle, and you tried to hurt the people who were kind and gentle, Jim would kill you where you stood and step away and not lose a wake of sleep over it. But we lost him tragically uh, a few years ago in a car crash, of all things. But I guess it's better to die like that than to die like Hickok for a man like that. He was truly a wonderful man. I learned a lot from him. Uh, I had the privilege of hosting him in his first private class after he left his second career at the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center. And there's much that can be learned from his books. Uh, He did the book uh, Guns, Gut Bullets, and Gunfights. And uh, Paul Kirshner uh, wrote the splendid biography of him, uh, based on not only what he learned from Jim, but everybody who knew Jim, uh, titled Jim Cirillo and Tales of the Stakeout Squad. And your listeners can get both of those from uh, Paladin Press. On our Pro Arms podcast, uh, a couple of years ago, I had the privilege of interviewing his partner, Bill Allard, who was the one guy on the squad that even Jimmy said killed more people in gunfights than Jim. Mm. And there's a great deal you can learn from his reminiscences of all those shootings as well. Oh, I think I interrupted you with the Jim Cirillo piece when you were about to start about Jeff Cooper. Oh, yeah, Jeff uh, Jeff Cooper began Gunsight, and Ray Chapman and some of his friends who invested in it began Chapman Academy uh, within the matter of months of each other. And that was really the the opening of the private firearms training industry in the United States. Hmm. Uh, Gunsight in Arizona opened a little bit before Chapman's. And the history of that, it's, it was really the the first combat arms school that a private citizen could attend since the so-called sized as arms, the, the schools of arms that existed in places like New Orleans prior to the Civil War. Uh, essentially, if you wanted to know defensive shooting, you pretty much had to join the military and uh, or join the, you know, sign up at the police academy. Mm-hmm. But these guys really opened a new world for teaching the law-abiding private citizen to defend themselves with a high level of skill. And I think it was from that that the the whole vast uh, private firearms training industry we have today grew up. Uh, The first of the, as he calls it, itinerant instructors was John Farnham. Uh, John had seen what uh, Jeff was doing and had attended gunsight. He had been a combat marine in the Vietnam conflict. And he figured, you know what? Uh, Being able to go to gunsight is great, but it costs you a whole lot of money in travel and hotels. It would be easier if an instructor traveled around and one instructor goes to 20 or 30 people instead of 20 or 30 people coming to the instructor. And that's what many do now, including myself. And uh, hell, I've been doing it for 30-some years. And... uh, 
those men together really created the industry as we know it today. Wow. Did we, did we miss anybody? I'm sure there's, a, there's probably a couple of them in there we missed between the... Uh... Oh, there, there were countless. Uh, Chuck Taylor did a lot of good work. Uh, Clint Smith, uh, who the founder of Thunder Ranch. Uh, back in the 80s, they, uh, a fellow wrote a book called Shooting Schools and Analysis that defined the big four schools as uh, Gunsight, of course, Chapman Academy, John Farnham School, and my school, which at that time was Lethal Force Institute. Hmm. And it was very kind of them, and I was very proud of it, but even then I figured there were more than four that were on the top tier. And today there would be, oh, good Lord, somewhere between a Big Ten and a Big 20. Uh, you've got very, very highly qualified people teaching some very, very well-put-together curricula, and it's truly the golden age of private citizen firearms training, not just in this country, but I think in the world. Speaking of that, what's your thoughts on some of the new training um, where we, we see that people are doing a lot of shoot houses and a lot of so-called tactical stuff. Do you think we're jumping a gun on that, or it's just well, an evolution? The shoot houses are good. The shoot house is good, but you've got to remember it's replicating essentially house-to-house combat. For the soldier or the Marine, you're replicating invading an enemy stronghold. For police, we're replicating serving a warrant on criminals believed to be heavily armed and dangerous. For the private citizen, it's fun, it's exciting. But doing the house clearing when you hear the bump in the night is not the smartest thing to do. Uh, virtually any of us in the business will tell you that if you think there has been an intrusion, go with the ensconced defender principle. Hunker down, have a plan in place to either scoop the kids in a, you and your wife's room or you and your wife get to the kids' room. Barricade there when you call the police and make the bad guys come to you. Uh, in any sort of building search situation, the person who's ensconced where the other person doesn't know exactly where they is has a huge advantage over the person who has to move, expose himself behind cover, and not know they're in a fire lane until the gunfire starts. Man, that's some... certainly some of the high-speed shooting, particularly the, the reactive draws concealment, uh, the integration we see today of hand-to-hand combatants with the firearm are I would say much more important to the ordinary private citizen who keeps or carries a gun. How about active shooter? Do we get that confused with the uh, person who's home invasion? Yeah, totally different scenario there. The, uh, for us, most of us in law enforcement are getting away from the active shooter terminology for two reasons. Uh, one is it insults a large portion of America. Hell, for most of American history, an active shooter has been someone who went to the range every weekend. True. Uh, the other reason is, from the Sarnow brothers with the Boston Marathon bombing to the atrocity we saw last week at the Pennsylvania High School, many of the mass killers are using explosives, knives, other types of weapons. Uh, I was in uh, Austin last month when uh, the fugitive who was trying to elude the police deliberately drove his vehicle into a crowd of people and mowed them down. Uh, that, to me, has every bit as much of an attempted mass murder event as anything ever perpetrated with a gun. But for the private citizen, uh, you've got a, a, it's apples and oranges. It's a totally different set of circumstances there. Uh, there is relatively little danger of a good guy mistaking you for the bad guy. 
when you confront the, the home invader at home. There is a huge danger of that happening when you draw your gun in public attempting to neutralize the mass shooter. The, uh, the situation uh, with uh, the mass murderer in public, you're going to have to identify the bad guy and you're going to have to realize you look like man with a gun there now or any other concealed carry permit holder for any off-duty cop maybe in plain clothes in the crowd or for any uniformed responding officer. So the tactics there would be entirely different from a home defense situation. What would be a good recommendation if you were concealing carry in an in a active shooter or a hostile, which basically sounds more like terrorism now than it ever has uh, yeah, I would, I would tend to agree with that, and I think you're going to see virtually every expert on terrorism thinks it's only a matter of time before we see a Beslan-type incident like we saw in Russia somewhere here in this country. The general advice is grab your own family and get them the hell out of there. Uh, as the lone knight rant, you're probably not going to be able to do a whole heck of a lot of good. And to ride to the sound of the guns, as it were, you're going to have to go against the flow of uh, a streaming herd of humanity that's trying to get out of the way. If the thing happens in front of you and you get the shot, best advice, do not clear the gun until you have a target. People see you running toward the threat with a gun in the hand, they may think you're another perpetrator and some big old football player might tackle you to the ground and the problem is compounded instead of reduced. Once you have an absolutely identified target, if there's a crowd around, try to angle your shot upward to reduce the danger of a miss or an exiting bullet striking a bystander. Once you've neutralized the threat, immediately get the gun put away. Get on the cell phone, but expect there will be communication difficulties. Uh, the phone lines at 911 tend to be overloaded immediately when those things happen. But if at all possible, if you can connect, give them your description and make it clear you're the good guy, you're the one who has restrained the perpetrator, and give them your physical description as the good guy. By now, your gun should be holstered, and that will go as far as can humanly be gone to keep you from being mistaken and shot by responding officers. Well, how can folks contact you when they have questions or they want to find out what the schedule is for the Mossad group? Well, uh, basically, it's MossadAyubGroup.com. Uh, they can go to the website to see what we offer. We have classes all over the country. Uh, once they find something that's suitable for them, just hover your cursor over that particular class on the screen, and the contacts will come up for the host. Uh, the host is the one to contact, make reservations, deposits, uh, find out what are the best hotels in the area, etc. Good stuff, Moss. Man, thank you, man, so much for this. Well, thank you for all the good you do, Brother Kent. All right, man. I wish you the best this weekend, and keep having fun. Hey, it's working for me. Mark <laughs> Twain said, if you love your job, you never actually have to work a day in your life. I'm still working on that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. Thank you. Crossbreedholsters.com Often imitated, never duplicated Handcrafted in the USA Home of the lifetime warranty And a try-it-free guarantee Crossbreedholsters.com
All right, I've been blessed by Crossbreed to have as my principal sponsor for a couple of years now. But do you know how I've survived all this time? Begging mostly, but I've sold a little bit of everything. Patches, t-shirts, hats, iPro, posters. Yeah, I have, and books. But mostly it's come from donations. I ain't proud, but it is what it is. You're the reason I'm still online. You're the reason I'm still fighting for the right to keep and bear arms. I couldn't do it on my take-home pay because that wasn't taking me nowhere. I've messed up so many times on my home finances. The wife said, oh no, you can do all you want, but none of that money's coming out of here. That's fair. Become a patron today. Go to patron.blackmanwithagun.com and find out details how you can help keep your brother striving alive and well. Patron.blackmanwithagun.com Thanks. Back in 1999, when I first set up my website, I didn't know squat about HTML or Flash, so I asked a friend of mine who was a whiz back then and what I should do, and he had a friend who was just getting into that big business of web design. It was hot, man, back in 1990s. This was back when everybody was still using the BBSs and bragging about their modem speeds and how much money they had. And they had to put a spare phone in their house and they had to talk at late at night when their parents or their wives weren't on the phone. Remember that? Remember we used to brag about 2,800 baud modems? Well, things like search engine optimization and page rankings, even Google ranks didn't even exist back then like it does now. As a gun rights guy, I was light years ahead back then of even the big guys like the NRA who I did volunteer work for. Their website paled in comparison. Not for any big reason. It just was, you know, usually the older guys don't really do the web thing. That's just how it is. Well, they got newer, younger people now, so things are making a change. But since then, I've been caught up and passed by. More savvy writers and bloggers and influencers and podcasters and it's all good. I'm actually not the first black man with a gun either. Maybe just the first one with a web presence. When I first got started in the gun rights movement, I quickly learned that I wasn't alone. You know, the first black NRA member, board member that I met was Roy Ennis from New York City. He was from CORE. Mm-hmm. And then after I got involved in gun rights and trying to get uh, a grant from the NRA, I found out there was a template from a guy by the name of Akil Kadir who had a gun club called the Dory Miller Ride and Gun Club up in Buffalo. I didn't get that grant, by the way. But I wasn't the first. There's plenty of black hunt groups and clubs and small associations that didn't really care about the political part. They just existed because it was a cultural, community thing. Today, I'm trying my best not to let uh, color get in the way of anything. I'm pushing just all American, baby. Don't care what you are, as long as you're American and free and fighting just like me. This whole mentality gave me the impetus to start the uh, 10th Cavalry Gun Club back in 92. Didn't happen the way I wanted it to do, so I had to let that thing go. But it's doing better now without me. A group out of Baltimore. The uh, Dory Miller Rod and Gun Club 
it's it died and is re, being reborn again. It's working up there in in Buffalo. Kadir is a retired cop, and uh, hats off to him, man, for just perseverance. That's the big worry for today. If you if you're an old cat and you can turn around, not let your age be a hindrance. Um, get on with this word blogging and podcast and and, and get involved and. Put your knowledge to use. That's about all I can claim online. See, I didn't see where all this stuff was going by the time web blogs became blogs. But I am part of this community. That part I really like. I made some great contributions to the rights of the free people here in America. You know, I lost my .com URL for a while and had to get a .net on Black Man with a Gun. I toyed with the name Urban Shooter and... uh, I rolled that for a while. Somehow I lost it to the same guy. Some Czechoslovakia dude that's into porn, man. Snatched up my stuff like nobody's business. So I lost net, got got .com back again, and then uh, had UrbanShooter.com, and then the Czech guy stole that, and poof, it's back on porn. It's a vicious circle. I could probably have a really good... um, career if I was into porn as a porn star. I did think about that for a minute, but that was back in the day. Today, I'm just one of hundreds of bloggers in the gun community. I got a huge list on the website. It's a hundred plus names. Yeah, it does. hundred plus. And I probably missed some people because the list was just so big. But of that list, the top rated gun blogs on the web according to Alexa.com, is number one, and all these are in order of their success. Amoland.com is number one. The survivalistblog.net, View from the Porch, those are the top three. CAS City, GunsGunsGuns.net, number five. Say Uncle is six. The Downrange TV blog, seven. John Lott. Followed by Gun Nuts Media, Guns Holsters and Gear, NRA Blog, The Smallest Minority, Alfeca, NFA Gun Trust Lawyer Blog, Hell in a Handbasket, The Michael Bain Blog, Michael Bain got two, man, what a rip, The Blind Squirrel, Walls of the City, Gun Pundit, Advanced Armament Corps, In Jennifer's Head, Go Jen, Traction Control, the next chapter, Be a Survivor and Mr. Completely. The top rated gun blog on the web, according to Alexa. Is that cool? Black Man with the Gun was not up there, but that, hey, that's just how it is sometimes. As long as you're listening, I'm, I'm cool. We got a whole bunch of podcasters, too. Um, we had two different networks. There was the um, Gun Rights Radio Network, started by Mark Vandenberg, and uh, new upstart firearmsradio.tv has a host of them. Um, we have to go into firearmsradio.tv to pull them apart because they're all kind of on one feed. But there's at least a dozen there alone. Podcasters like Gun Nuts Radio, uh, Michael Baines Downrange Radio, Handgun Podcast, Handgun World Show, Gun Nation, Gun Talk, Reloading Radio, The Polite Society Podcast. Truthaboutguns.com, The Gunrunner Podcast, Carrie Zilka's Podcast. 
GunRightsRadio.com. Lock and Load Radio with Bill Frady. Armed Citizen Podcast. The Firearms Cafe. The Gun Dudes. Gunfighter Cast. Pro Arms. Personal Armament. Three Sports Guns. The Action Shooting Podcast. Kate Kruger's Talking Guns. The Gun Show Radio. New York City Guns Radio. Gun for Hire Radio. Student of the Gun. AK-47 Guru Podcast. I Hate Guns Podcast. Triangle Tactical. And the Gun Runner Podcast. Which seems like I said that twice. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. Okay, so there you go. Got 30 podcasters I can just name. Poof, right off the bat. You know there's even more than that, right? But maybe that just helps you. In case you want to add that list to your blog, uh, if you go to blackmanwithagun.com, I got that whole list with the links. So if you're not there, um, send me a note. Um, reply back on the post and tell me that I was you were missed. Wasn't by purpose. It just happened, you know. And uh, I got that top-rated gun blogs list from Alexa.com rankings. Don't know how true it is, but hey, if I was on there, I'd be proud of it. And then we got the YouTube generation. That's like really, really new, even though it's not an age thing. Um, Fate of Destiny. She gave me some of hers. Uh, Friend Hank Strange and 22 Plinkster. Mr. Colion Noir. Sturm Jouer. I'm not sure how you pronounce that. Iraqi Veteran 8888 and Hickok 45. And there's even more um, that you probably know. And I'd like to know what you thought were good. Some of your favorite YouTubers. Just let me know, too. And while I'm talking about Iraqi veteran, um, 8888, we have uh, a death in the family. Yeah, we do. It's a little sad. Um, Barry Barry Elliott, the bearded brother from that uh, blog group, passed away this week. As did um, mother and wife, Patricia Tartaro. Uh, Miss Tartaro is the wife of Joe Tartaro of the Second Amendment Foundation and uh, mom of Peggy of Women's and Guns magazine. So just want to give a quick shout out and condolences to the families. I love the people in this community. That's pretty much why I do this podcast. As I get my mind wrapped around packing for this next trip to the NRA annual meeting, I do it like it's a family reunion. Yeah. I'm going to meet almost everybody I just mentioned. Bloggers, podcasters, and YouTube folks. And the folks that can't make it, I've already asked them. I was like, hey, are you coming? They're like, no. Money is tight. Can't make it. I'm broke. Uh, uh, Devlin had a new baby girl, so... He can't make it, you know, stuff like that. I know some folks go to see and handle the latest firearms and talk to manufacturers trying to get sponsors, but for me, it's a homecoming. See, I'm a pastor of patriots. I'm going to help encourage and just hug a few people. I don't care if you get nothing out of it or not, but I do. You guys have sacrificed a lot of stuff. I mean, every day. 
except for the people who are on YouTube and podcasting and online communities. The rest of the world, they think something's wrong with us. We just believe in freedom. So being at this NRA annual meeting is just so American, it'll give you goosebumps. That's why I'm going. That's why I gave you all these lists. That's why I brought up all these old dudes. That's why I was talking to Masai. Because this is my world. This is my community. These are the people that I love. Y'all don't talk love like I do. I'll get right down mushy with you. Because why do we fight? Why do we put up with all the insults? Why do we pay all the money? Why do we go through all this stuff? Because we love our country. And the country is not a map. The country is the people. So I'm going to see America. I'm going to see the people who I love at this NRA thing. And I'm hoping that if you're listening, you're part of my family. Ken has spent decades as a gun rights activist, law enforcement, firearms instructor, federal agent, Christian pastor, father, or a friend. Get the book that tells what he couldn't say before. Head over to blackmanwithagun.com slash book now to get your copy today. All right, this week I got a chance to be interviewed by Raquel O out of humanevents.com. And she said that, well, it's called I Am the Pastor of Patriots. And because of her article, I received an email that says, I saw an article on you via email. I'm an ordained elder and past clerk of session at a Presbyterian church in New York. The pastor is an anti-gun activist, even going so far as protesting and taking congregational members with him to protest, showing an anti-gun movie and stuff about violence in the church. On the opposite side of the coin are myself and a few others who shoot. I was trained as a teen to shoot by my dad, a Navy vet, NRA endowment member, the secretary, treasurer of a local gun club, and officer of the oldest continuous AMA chartered motorcycle clubs. I'm married to a Navy gunner's mate from Vietnam. So guns and motorcycles, not your normal girl. I've been put in a position of hiding or at least keeping quiet my beliefs that the Second Amendment helps to guarantee, guarantee all the others, including freedom of religion. I have participated in a protest against the New York SAFE Act. I am a life member of NRA and a member of the New York State Rifle and Pistol Club. Her question was, how do you handle, deal with the demonization of gun owners in church and continue to worship and serve? Man. Truth is, you only have two options. You can stay or you can leave. And then whatever decision you make from that point, you can do little variations on that theme right there. This whole thing made me think about why people are anti-gun in the first place. That's what I do. I kind of pull back the curtain and strip things of their outward appearance and get to the heart of it. Kind of like solving for X. Remember algebra in school? I realized just a few years ago that what does this have to do with real life? Well, people are mathematical equations that are variables. they knowns, they're unknowns, they're, they come with experiences and they, you have to solve for X. I'm going to probably make a 
a presentation about this now that I got some of the skeleton of it down. But why are people anti-gun? I boiled it down to just four reasons. If you have some more, let me know. But I think um, for the benefit of just this conversation, four works. Remember the, if you're going to give a speech, you have to do the with them. What's in it for me to be effective? You have to make sure that you're um, succinct. Well, anti-gun has the same thing. The with them. Willful. Ignorant. Fear. Or misunderstanding. That's why they're anti-gun. If you're fearful, it can be an emotional thing because you were like a victim. That only goes two ways. If you were a victim of a violent crime or a terrorist act, you will only go one of two ways. Never again or you will put your butt in a cave and hide. Flight or flight. Same thing. If it's a misunderstanding, then you don't know what you don't know. You might think that being a pacifist means that you shouldn't have a firearm. Or you confuse that whole thing with your Christian doctrine or your religious doctrine when being a gun owner does not equal murder. You don't understand. It's like I go on for about an hour on that one by itself. Could just be ignorant. And I say that in a fair way because we're all ignorant on different things. Don't ask me to do brain surgery or to put a stent in your heart. I'm just ignorant about that. I've never been taught. Or you can just be willful, purposeful. You want to be contrary. You want to be political. You might have been, you might have even been paid for it to be this way. Or you've been wrong for so long that you're ashamed and your pride and your age is preventing you from going to the truth. Four reasons, fear, misunderstanding, ignorance, and willfulness. Willfulness. And I can break all that stuff down, and I probably will at a future date, of why people are anti-gun. And some of these reasons, you can't argue with, especially if you're willfully doing it. If you're ignorant, you can teach. If it's a misunderstanding, if you take enough time, you can do a conversation, you communicate, you can get out of it, you can educate somebody out of it. If it's a fear thing, fear is learned. Hard to unlearn fear. Some of us like fear. We like to be afraid. So on some of these instances, you can't undo the damage. Folks are just going to stay stuck. And the good news is I got a nice email from my sister after I told her that and said she will soon will be leaving the state of New York probably and uh, try to find a church that is more in line with what's right. I've been able to continue because I know who's in charge. And it's usually not the guy at the pulpit. It's somebody much greater than that. And if you know my story, I was the guy at the pulpit and I had to walk out of a church where the people weren't right. It's just how it is sometimes. Buddha said that thousands of candles can be lighted from a single candle and the life of the candle will not be shortened. Happiness never decreases by being shared. That's 
why I'm here for you. Keep shining your light, y'all. You're making a difference. Thanks to all the podcasters, bloggers, and YouTube folks, trainers new and old, that have lit the way, that still fight for us, that still keep us free. It's not easy, never has been. Every day you get up, there's another chance to make a difference. So do it. If you don't change direction, you may end up where you're heading. Blackmanwithagun.com All right, that's a wrap for this week. I want to thank you for joining me. And if there's anything I can do for you, feel free to send me an email at blackmanwithagun at gmail.com. Please leave some breadcrumbs, iTunes review, Stitcher, thumbs up, uh, something on the site. Let me know you've been around and you heard the show. If you like what you heard, feel free to tweet the bad boy. Thanks so much. Hope I see you at the NRA annual meeting. And just want to shake your hand, actually. Remember, you can see all the links and all the people I've mentioned on the show notes for episode number 370, talking about gun bloggers, podcasters, and YouTubers, people in the gun community. Until I see you again. Shalom, baby. Oh, yeah. Happy Passover and happy Easter. To keep in touch with Ken and his cause, head over to blackmanwithagun.com. 